Okay, so it's Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 10. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of you for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favourites. Final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Well, good morning, everyone. We're well into the second half of the uh, book of Ephesians and into a section in which Paul addresses the relationship between slaves and their masters. And the title we're using for this section is God's Purposes for Work. Now, you may well ask, what can we possibly learn about the modern workplace from a passage that talks about slavery? Well, slavery was really widespread in the Roman world. Experts think that approximately 10% of the population of the empire were slaves. And that figure would have been much higher in places like Rome, in Italy, and in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, which is exactly where this letter is being written to. And the range of tasks undertaken by slaves not only included all sorts of domestic service, as you might expect, but also slaves would work in and even run their Roman masters' businesses. And often what we would consider to be professional roles, such as teachers or doctors, could also have been carried out by slaves. So much of what today is included in the world of paid employment would, in the Roman world, have been undertaken by slaves. There are therefore strong parallels with the modern workplace. So what does the passage actually teach? I want to say a little bit more about Roman slaves to give a sense of how radical Paul's teaching was. Slaves, of course, were the lowest rung on the ladder of Roman society. They had no rights and they were at the absolute mercy of their owners to the extent that they could be cruelly punished for any wrongdoing and discarded at the end of their lives if they were no longer useful. They couldn't legally marry, and if they did have children, they would have been the property of their masters and possibly a better source of future slaves than those bought in the marketplace who would have been captives of war and therefore far less acclimatised to a life of slavery. So now imagine a gathering of believers in Ephesus, maybe meeting together in the home of one of the church's wealthier members. And the gathering consists of Roman citizens as well as slaves, and perhaps some of the slaves were there because their masters converted to Christianity and they had their whole households baptised. And they're sitting, listening to Paul's letter being read. And they've heard about all that God has done for them in Christ, his grace, his removing the divide between Jew and Gentile, the unity of believers. And perhaps at this point, some of the slaves are thinking, this is all well and good, but what has this got to do with me? Then all of a sudden, the figure at the front starts reading Paul's words directly addressed to them. Slaves, obey your masters with respect and fear, just as you would obey Christ. 
Just the fact that they're being addressed at all is remarkable. The implication is that they are being included in the family of believers. God has something to say to them in the same way that he has specific instructions for wives and husbands and children and parents. And what does Paul tell them? That they have a new master and one who is seeking to reward them for the good that they do. And furthermore, it is the same master who is Lord over their earthly master, a heavenly master who rewards both slave and free. Paul's teaching gives these slaves a new focus for their service, Jesus Christ, and a new status as equal before God within the kingdom of heaven. And as for masters, the teaching for them is no less radical in turning upside down the existing order. As I said, Roman culture teaches them that their power over their slaves is absolute. They own them after all. But Paul's teaching is to not even threaten them and that they serve the same master. And again, that this master shows no favoritism between the earthly master and the slave. So what does this teaching mean for us? What are God's purposes for work? One thing that we have in common with those first century slaves is that we have the same ultimate master. Jesus is our Lord, just his, he was their Lord. We have the same new focus, therefore, as these slaves in ancient Asia Minor. And so we can read most of verses five to eight straight off the page as applying to us, apart from substituting the word worker for slave. In our workplaces, just as for those slaves, it is Jesus Christ we are serving first and foremost. But doesn't having Christ as our ultimate master introduce a conflict when we have to work for an earthly master? Well, for the most part, no. In fact, quite the opposite. As a Christian worker, are you going to undermine your boss by saying one thing to their face and another behind their back? Not if you're seeking to please your heavenly master. And as a Christian worker, are you going to have false expectations of what your boss can achieve? I think that's a real problem in the workplace sometimes. But not if you look beyond the boss to see the only good and perfect and powerful master. Instead, you might be more inclined to work out how you can support your boss through those difficult tasks and decisions. And as a Christian worker, are you going to be devastated when you don't receive the validation and the praise that you feel you deserve from your boss? Not if you know that you have a heavenly master who will reward you for the good that you do. And as a Christian worker, are you going to win the favour of your boss by doing only those things that catch the eye and, and are useful for, for advancing your own careers? Not if you are serving a heavenly master who wants the best for you in the context of the kingdom of God. But maybe, maybe you do have a boss who truly treats you unjustly. Perhaps then we have to turn to some parallel teaching on slaves and masters that you can find in 1 Peter chapter 2 and look to our heavenly master, 
Jesus Christ, who, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threat. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We are, of course, in theory at least, free to leave our jobs and find a new one. and, And that can sometimes be the best course of action. But the way that we behave under unjust suffering can also be the most powerful witness to our faith in Christ. Then regarding masters, and I think very few of us are business owners employing people, but I'm sure some of you are in the position of having people reporting to you. Now, I could exhort you not to threaten your subordinates at work, but if that's something that you're in the habit of doing, I guess your HR departments are going to have something to say about that. So I'll leave that to them. Nevertheless, while those who work for you may not acknowledge that they have a heavenly master, they are certainly created in our heavenly master's image. The modern workplace often outsources its cleaners security staff who often work long hours and are employed on minimum wages how do we relate to all the people in our workplace who keep it operating smoothly so whoever works for you whoever works around you let us be careful to treat everyone with the humanity the dignity the encouragement and the belief that our heavenly master would have expect of us. And that is God's plan for work.